open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Words. It's that nagging thought, the one that occupies your mind, that creeps up in your patient encounters, that pulls at you in surgery, it keeps you awake at night and your wheels spinning all day. It's that idea, that idea for something new, something innovative that could change patient care. And for those who've experienced this, it's what puts you on the precipice. That point where you must decide whether to go back, to return to the way things were, or to dive headfirst into something unknown. This episode, part two of our Physician Startup and Pipeline Projects feature, is about that very precipice. Today I'll talk to two people who have been there before and aren't timid about going back. First we'll hear from Dr. John Burdall, who describes the process of determining whether your beliefs are, in fact, truths and thus worth jumping for. Then we'll hear from Dr. Damian Goldberg on the importance of partnerships in discovering and seizing new opportunities and how to detect and fill an unmet need. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. So today on the podcast, we have John Burdall, who I think is making his third appearance um, on our podcast. So John, um, you you need no introduction, so I won't even even go there, but I just want to say thanks for once again making some time uh, to talk to us. We're talking today about Physician startups, pipeline projects, and I know this has been something that you've been living kind of simultaneously to the experience that I've been living through Omega Ophthalmics. And so I thought it'd be kind of nice and interesting for us to maybe talk about both your company, what I've been doing, um, and maybe share a little bit about the process, maybe more so than even the product, but maybe giving some um, pearls of wisdom to other people out there who are perhaps at the um, planning phase or just having that idea um, and giving people a little bit of encouragement or insight around what do you do once you have an idea? How do you take it to the next level? So uh, with all that being said, um, give us a little bit of background about the startup that you formed and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, Gary, thanks. Uh, and, you know, your podcast is great. I hear a lot of people telling me how much they enjoy it, and I always uh, enjoy listening to it and, and being on it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, yeah, so the, the I started a, a couple little companies. Um, the We did a little something with the Stigmatism Fix, which is a free website for people, you know, that we talked about before to help fix the stigmatism after cataract surgery. And, you know, we also had an idea about sedation without needles uh, for IVs for cataract surgery and, and have worked, you know, around that. But the, but the real one, the one that's kind of more like could turn into a real company is one called Equinox. And the idea behind this is that Glaucoma is really a two-pressure disease, not a one-pressure disease. It's a balance between eye pressure and CSF pressure. We've done some of the early research on that. And we think that with a pair of goggles that adds negative pressure in front of the eyes, we've got a good chance at just being able to control eye pressure. And I know that's a, you know, a perpendicular view to glaucoma from what we usually think of glaucoma as, but that's the device and it kind of came to fruition as we were thinking about what can we do with this knowledge about 
eye pressure and CSF pressure and how to decouple the two of them. And so as I was ping-ponging ideas back and forth with my partner, Vance, uh, we kind of came up with this idea and thought that it was a testable hypothesis and uh, started to go after it, and it's burgeoning into a real company. Well, you know, I think that is – it's incredible when you have an insight and that insight is based not only just on – um, observation, but also on some data, some studies that I know you did when you were a resident, uh, maybe even in your fellowship, uh, you continued some of that. And, you know, I've been seeing this idea actually presented by other people. And I think, you know, your idea is gaining traction when other people are presenting it and not giving you credit for it. I've actually seen that a couple of times. And so I think that that's, you know, this idea of, of, maybe glaucoma um, and ocular hypertension or low tension glaucoma and even on the other side of the coin with um, pseudotumor um, or um, you know even getting into the the effects of the optic nerve during um, a low gravity situations long-term space flight I think this idea is really gaining traction um, so I want to congratulate you on that but let's ta- let's back up a little bit you know, you have an idea that is, I don't want to say 180 degrees, but you said it right. You're perpendicular to what, what most glaucoma um, docs would say is, is, is the canon of, of the disease process. Yet, you had the confidence to say, I'm, I'm going to try this. And despite everyone else thinking this may be off or wrong, I'm, I'm going to bet on this idea. So walk me through like... In your mind, why? what gave you the uh, gumption or what gave you the motivation to say, I want to take this one step further than just an idea on the back of a napkin. I don't want to let this idea die in the, in the corners of my mind where maybe other ideas have, have died. What was that thing that you felt like, hey, I, I think there, this is real and I'm actually going to do something about it? Great question, Gary. And there's a multitude of answers and so I'll give you a couple Um, I think that it's Peter Thiel that talks about exploit an unfair advantage that you have. And all doc, when you're you're starting a business. And I think that all doctors have a bit of an unfair advantage because we see the patients, we have direct access to observation, and we understand the disease process better. So that's one part of it is that there's that unfair advantage. But I also have a liking towards physics and kind of was a a physics major and, and a numbers kind of guy. And so it's always hard for me to understand pharmacology and biology, but physics kind of made sense to me. And so this process of just hydrostatically changing pressures by relieving some pressure that the atmosphere puts on um, your eye was fairly natural. So maybe that's the second unfair advantage. But then the third one is when you kind of can't shake an idea. Every idea seems amazing when you first have it. And it kind of when you sleep on it the next day, maybe it, you lose a little enthusiasm and by a week you're not sure if it's good anymore and by a month you've forgotten it. Um, in this case, it was kind of like an itch that just wouldn't go away until you scratched it. And so, um, you know, I'd wake up in the morning thinking about it and I'd see patients and I'd say, this is really what I believe is happening when I see your optic nerve. So I think it's a combination of um, – having an unfair advantage, having it be an idea that you can't shake, and then feeling like you have a testable hypothesis at that very early stage. So is there a way you can figure out if your beliefs 
are actually truths. And if you can test that, um, then it's worth going for. Yeah, and, and that's that's really interesting, that idea of an, uns- an unshakable um, new idea or an unshakable hypothesis that you can't get off your mind until you until you figure it out. Um, you know, there's there there are a number of books. You know, I like talking to you because you give me ideas for for great books you've read, and and I like to share some things as well. But there's a great book called Making Ideas Happen, and um, in 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 that book, it basically talks about the euphoria of of new ideas, and it talks about creative people how there's sort of this temporary high that you get um, or you know, you get this inspiration and you get this great feeling when you think about a new idea because when you visualize that new idea, you can see it in your mind. You see how it is impacting people. You can go through thought experiments where you're sort of testing this new concept in your mind in various ways and you sort of fast forward through all the hard work and you kind of see what it could be. But then once you decide to actually do something about it, good ideas break down into a lot of hard work. And it's a lot of times that that people, when they sort of have an idea, I found found this in myself even, you have an idea and you are really excited about it. And then once you start putting pen to paper, drawing up a project plan, thinking about all the steps involved and the overwhelming uh, resources that you might need and the, the... um, level of skill that you may you may lack, it just feels less fun, and so the problem becomes rather than taking those steps to pursue the idea, maybe another good idea comes in your mind, and you you sort of cycle on good ideas, and that 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 great feeling that you get with a new idea that sort of almost undermines your ability to execute on one good idea, and so I found in my own journey through. Uh, startup, I've really had to um, temper new ideas because I see that almost as the siren song that's trying to crash my ship <laughs> against the rocks is getting, you know, off focus. So um, have you found that as well? You know, you, you've had this idea for a while. You've been pursuing it. You've been going through the ups and the downs of a startup. Um, have you had to say no to some other ideas that have come along? And, uh, you know, walk me through that if, if so. Yeah, Gary, I, I haven't ever heard it said better than just how you said it. It's exactly right. Um, the idea, the ideas are intoxicating. And, um, you know, when you have a great idea, you're maybe 2% of the way there, and it's the fun 2%. Yeah, exactly. The rest of it is just plain old hard work. And I didn't know what a quality system was I just thought that meant you made something that was good. And it turns out it's a big deal in design verification and, and all of these things that we as docs just don't have to deal with. And, and honestly, it's given me uh, respect for what these companies need to go through to get a product to market. And, you know, at sometimes you have your doctor hat on and you never take that off, but then you have a CEO, CEO hat on. And, um, you know, it's pretty easy to decide if a cataract should come out. It's pretty hard to make, um, you know, high-risk bets on the future of a company and a technology in an area that you're unfamiliar with. And so, um, so 
I've gained a lot of respect for the hard work. And I think that that's why the idea kind of has to percolate for a while and be unshakable because there are going to be times where you say, is this mountain really worth climbing? And it only really is if it's an idea that's so compelling that you can't get it out of your blood. And when it comes to other ideas that present themselves, you know, you're right there. You get that new kind of intoxication from them. But most of the time, they're just shiny objects. And, you know, it's you're at much higher risk of chasing all of these potentially good ideas, but never accomplishing any of them as opposed to um, focusing on the one idea that you have. And in truth, <clears throat> a good idea non-executed is probably worse than having the idea in the first place. Um, and it's probably better to have a mediocre idea that it gets executed well to the point where it actually ultimately helps people. Uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think we're totally on the same page. Um, one thing I've been doing lately, which is kind of a, a new thing, is uh, I've been taking a design thinking and innovation course uh, through MIT. They kind of have these online courses you can take. It's not really a big deal. It's a, it's a few hours a week. It's online. But it's really helped me um, appreciate some of the things that go on on the other side of, of the coin. So as a physician, as an inventor, or you know, as an um, entrepreneur – we kind of just think about the idea and we don't really take an idea through an entire thought process of, all right, how, how is this going to be received in the market? How is it going to be received in the engineering world? How, how is this um, going to eventually, you know, we see how it affects patients, but we don't always, you know, have the other skills um, that round out, uh, you know, the things that you need to, to make an idea happen. And so, one, one framework that I've been studying in this course is something called the Real Win Worth It uh, framework. And it's really, it's opened my eyes to um, a really simple way to vet my own ideas and maybe even look at other ideas because I don't know about you, John, but you know, I'm, I have other people who approach me from time to time and say, hey, I've got you know, a company or a startup. I'm looking, to, you know, I'm looking for investors let me pitch you on this idea. And so it's kind of interesting since I have been on both sides of that to listen to other people's ideas. And so the concept essentially is this, you know, you have three boxes or three categories that a good idea has to go through. The first one is the real category. So the idea is, does it solve a real problem? Is there really a market need or a demand that's out there for this product, whatever, whatever the product or service is? So the first category is, is it real? Does it really solve a problem? And then the second one is, can you win? Does your team have the necessary tools, skills, you know, engineering prowess, funding, um, you know, ability to build a better mousetrap or dominate a space? So um, not only you have to make sure the idea is real, can your team execute on that, make it into a product that is going to be better than anyone else's? And then the last category is, if you can do those first two, is there a business waiting for you at the end that would make it worth it for the investment of time and resources in that idea? And so, you know, I think that's a really interesting framework for people who are out there maybe thinking about an idea to say, okay, I've got a, you know, maybe a novel treatment for a pterygium or, or I've got a novel treatment for, um, you know, EBMD, something. 
well, you got to run it through this scenario because it's really hard to get someone to invest if they if you haven't thought through these three categories. And there's there's definitely uh, this is one framework. There's lots of frameworks you can think about. But for me, in my on my journey, this has been something that's really helped me to not only refine the way I present my idea, but also to think about other people's ideas. What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so what I learned when I was talking to some of our early investors, which was a couple of professional investors and and some doctors, was that the doctors were really interested in the idea. And the business people really didn't care about the idea. They cared about um, the things that you couldn't change. The market size, um, the pathway, is there a pathway for regulatory approval? and the team. So number four was the idea for, you know, people that had been down this road before as investors. Number one for the doctors was the idea. And, um, and you know, we're, in, we're self-selected group of people that are inquisitive, scientifically inclined, and, you know, hopefully altruism inclined. And we may not be able to see that big picture. And even if at first you're just doing it for curiosity and as your curiosity blooms into a business, unless you're going to be able to find folks to finance that appropriately and they're only going to if they really think that you've got an ability to have a meaningful product in the space, um, you know, you can climb the first tenth of the mountain and then stall out. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting. You know, you're exactly right. We look at the idea as the holy grail and sort of diminish once you get sold out on an idea and you think that this is something that's super important. We have the tendency, I think, as physicians to minimize the challenges because we we see the end product, we see the potential, and so we kind of think, oh yeah, yeah, we can get through this or that. And I think you're you're right. The business guys are maybe more pragmatic on. Uh, the obstacles that are in the way, um, you, you know. One other, one other, you know, thing I, I sort of think about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is you know, what is what is the biggest challenge or the biggest obstacle um, that you didn't see coming? You know, for me, I kind of think about my journey um, as almost like, and this is you know, not in in scale representative, but you know, Christopher Columbus decided to go to go west. You know, everyone else was going east. He decided to go west. He could not forecast when he was going to arrive in India because he never even got there. You know, he got to the new world and obviously made great discoveries. But it seems like when you're on this on this journey, when you're trying to invent something that hasn't been invented before, when you're trying to do something no one's done before, it's really hard to know what's coming next because you just don't know what you don't know. I mean, have you found that yourself? Um, and, and I'll answer that, but I'll say one other thing before that. I do think that the, the business guys add just an incredible ton of value. But there is something special about having a doctor included in the decision making because we, you know, we're, the, we're the one that's there that took that oath. And we're the ones that look patients in the eye. And so I do think that you know, doctor-founded uh, startups can, you know, if, if we respect the business side of it too – can really have a strong true north on doing good things for people. So then on to your question, which was, what was I surprised by? Oh man, how many things have I been surprised by? Um, you know, the first thing I was surprised by is just the magnitude of the work. 
it is incredible. Um, and you know, the other thing that I was a little surprised by is, um, the endurance that's necessary and the crisis of confidence that can come sometimes where even if you've got good data and you've got sound principles, you can ask yourself, especially when people invest money in you and your company, oh my gosh, I hope I'm right. <laughs> and, um, and it's kind of like, you know, the passage, Lord, I believe, help my disbelief. Yes. And, um, and so, you know, you're at, at, as the leader of this company, like a good coach, you know, you need to believe and you need to know, but you also need to, uh, understand the disconfirming evidence and have people around you that when you do have these crises of confidence can say, Whoa, 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 you're just, you're just having a moment. You know, you, you got it. Remember you got the principles, you got the data, you, you know, we're, we're all in this together. And, and that surprised me a little bit because it's easy to have allegiance to an idea it's hard to um, have an allegiance to a process that's moving forward to get that idea into reality. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, one thing I, I've found that is uh, that was surprising. Um, you know, I've got an idea for a lens, and we've got you know the IP and those sorts of things. But it's amazing the number of steps you have to go through to prototype something and test it, prototype, redesign, test it. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, every step of the process is you can, you know, you can almost find a new way to fail every time you do something. And so it's, it's really, it does, as you mentioned before, it kind of gives you a different respect for people who have done this. And for me, a different respect for the industry I was one of these guys who would sit back, you know, at a at a lecture or a conference and say, "Well, you know, you know, someone ought to do X, Y, or Z, or why hasn't so and so made this product?" And you know, since I've gone through this experience trying to develop my own product, it's really given me a whole new level of respect for the products that are already out there and the level of innovation that actually does make it through. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. There's, there is a lot, um, that we don't know and the crisis of confidence, you know, you're exactly right. We've got friends potentially who are supporting you or investing. Um, you've got your own sort of reputation on the line as someone who, you know, you, I think, I think about myself as someone who is pretty level headed and logical and, and hopefully has good ideas, but you put yourself out there a little bit when it's your idea that's actually moving forward. And that, that can be a little bit disconcerting sometimes. Yep, I agree. So, well, John, any, any last words of wisdom before you wrap up? You know, I think that my last word of wisdom is to say, know who you are and what you're meant to be and what you're due and what your why or your purpose is. And, um, you know, I know that I'm meant to take cataracts out of little old ladies and I, that helps me, you know, and take care of the team here in our practice. And so that helps me put in perspective, you know, what I can do for this company while still being a good dad and a good husband. And, you know, knowing that we're going to get somebody that, you know, if we meet our milestones, that is a, you know, a professional CEO that can take the business where it needs to go. Because I know that, that where I'm really satisfied, um, is, is helping people in their moments of vulnerability and, you know, taking an idea and bringing it to fruition is, is super fun, but it's, um, 
It's not my reason for existence, uh, but it is kind of the cherry on top of a, of a life that's better than I ever imagined it could be. Yeah, totally agree. And you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Jim Watson and he said, a river cuts through rock, not because of its power, but because of its persistence. And so, you know, John and everyone else out there who's uh, trying to wake up every day, make the world a better place, whether that's through, you know, cataract surgery or through business or through innovation, man, just stick with it. You know, we'll, we will, we will make this world a little bit better if we all commit to that. So, uh, John, as always, love talking to you. Best wishes on, on this project and everything else in your profession. Take care. Thanks, Gary. With John's experience and advice in mind, I decided to touch base with another surgeon entrepreneur, Dr. Damian Goldberg, to collect some more insights on starting a new venture, surrounding yourself with the right people, and pursuing your own hypotheses to fill an unmet need. This is Ophthalmology Off the Grid, and um, I have the pleasure tonight to uh, interview a great friend, Damien Goldberg. Um, Damien and I have really been friends for a number of years. We've we met through the Vanguard Ophthalmology Society, and actually maybe even before that at some meetings. And Damien's someone I really look up to, someone who's doing great great work as a ophthalmologist, but also as an entre- entrepreneur and as a, as a uh, sort of a physician startup guy. And so... Um, Damien, I thought you'd be a great person to talk to about really this concept of physicians with an idea, making that idea happen. So uh, give us a little bit of a background on your work um, just in ophthalmology, and then walk us through a little bit of the unmet need you saw and uh, maybe some first steps on uh, how you decide to solve that problem. Absolutely. And and Gary, thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast today. Um, I think it's uh, been amazing to listen to, and it's really uh, fresh and right on. And um, much like yourself with your own startup, I think um, uh, it's all about finding the need and, or seeing seeing the the uh, vacuum and finding uh, that there's a potential need that needs to be met. Um, one thing that I always also remember uh, a few years back when I got started, I was at a uh, function. Um, uh, you were there, some other people were there, and somebody asked me, who wasn't as uh, involved in, the, in, in some of the projects that, that we do, they, they said, you know, why do you do all this? You know, you've got a busy practice, and, you know, it's a successful practice, and you've got a family, but why do, you, why do you get so involved in these meetings and do all this stuff? And, you know, I, I, I thought it was an interesting question, but I, I realized right in that moment, what it was. And I said, well, you know what, be honest, if you look around at all the people in the room, the people in industry, the KOLs that want to get involved, these are the people that, you know, I honestly think are going to have an impact in the the way ophthalmology will be led in the the future. And um, at at the time, I was doing a lot of work with um, BMC, which I enjoyed working with them and some of the projects like uh, Millennial Eye and some of the other uh, research projects I had been doing with uh, some of the uh, ophthalmology companies that I respect and uh, hold dear to my heart. A lot of those people are great. Um, but like yourself, and, and I, I just felt like I had more to do. And um, maybe it was also one of these ACOS meetings I went and 
I think uh, Robert Maloney was on the stage or somebody was on stage and they called out. He's like, you know, you guys have the ideas. It's in your brains. You just got to be creative and come up with a, a, a way to do it. And, and that's kind of, I think, what got me motivated. You know, I share, I share that, that same sense. You know, sometimes we, we look around at the stage of a career and, you know, we've both been blessed to have great careers and that is enough. It's not, it's not to say that being an ophthalmologist is not enough because I find tremendous satisfaction in what I do. But I sort of have this longing or this urge, like I think I can have a greater impact maybe in a different way. And there's just this restlessness to, to move the ball forward, the restlessness to lead in a, in a new direction and to see if I can leave this profession maybe in one small way, a little better than I found it. And I, and I think that's kind of what I'm hearing from you as well. Yeah, I, I, and one other point you, you mentioned too that just reminded me, I, I remember hearing Ed McMahon once say, you know, he did all these things, you know, where is the, the million dollar draw that he did and all the other projects he did. He said he never forgot what made him was being Johnny Carson's sidekick. So, <laughs> I am never going to forget. The only reason I got to where I've got is I, the, the guy, uh, Dr. Barry Walsh, and the guy I joined has an amazing practice, healthy practice, and it's helped me get started a lot earlier so that I could kind of leapfrog and do these other things. So like yourself, too, I think, you know, you got to have the practice. you got to have the drive. you got to be a good surgeon. you gotta, you got to be uh, a, a pretty good doctor and, and make it all work, and then you get the opportunity to possibly do these other things, which I feel blessed to do. Could not, I don't think you could have said it any better. You know, my, my Johnny Carson is, uh, is my partner, Lance Ferguson. And, and, uh, if, if I was only the rest of my life referred to as, as the guy who works with Lance Ferguson, I think that would be enough for me. Um, right. you know, that's, that really, I, I could die. I think a happy man. Um, I, I respect him that much and, and feel so honored and blessed to be a part of that practice. So I, I hear what you're saying there. So, so let's 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 take this conversation, you know, in a in to the next level of all right, we've got we're ophthalmologists, we're sort of in our early careers and we've been really fortunate to take care of the the main things in in our in our careers and our lives and all of a sudden you see an unmet need and there there are tons of unmet needs if you just keep your eyes open to the to the fact that sometimes I look around and see so many unmet needs, it almost is overwhelming. Um, when you start tuning your radar in that direction. So at some point, Damien, you saw an unmet need and decided to do something about it. So walk me through sort of what the unmet need that you defined was and what kind of led you to say, I'm going to be the guy to actually do something about this. Well, let me start from a little bit of a different angle. There's a lot of unmet needs and there's a lot of great ideas, but any great idea can only be developed and delivered without the right people on the right team. And so I felt that we needed to first with limited, a startup challenge has working more with less. So you have limited power, limited funding, there's high risk, but there's high reward. And as you know too, the founding fathers and and their families definitely deal with the stress. But when we put our team together, we sort of had a corporate culture of no egos, leave your ego at the door. We, have, we literally have 
there's a no douchebag rule. You can we cannot have any. Uh, if as soon as we start to smell one of the members of the team is a douchebag, <laughs> we 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 gently ask that uh, you know perhaps this isn't the right thing for them. And so roughly what we've done is we've put 15 physicians together from all walks of life in ophthalmology, both younger and older, nice mix of academia and private practice. And that's what we um, you know, put together for our medical advisor because I may have some great ideas you know, in one aspect, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of new to the, to, the, to the world of ophthalmology uh, and other people have more experience in different ways. And we wanted this to um, you know, be, a, be a dynamic group. Um, and what we thought was, we, we sort of identified there still were some problems in post-op management, and uh, so we wanted to develop products there, and we think there's uh, still some unmet needs in dry eye, and so we're, we're excited to uh, be developing some unique products in the biologic and pharmaceutical space. The uh, post-op management drops we've already released, and uh, we have other dry eye products that should come to market in uh, 2017 that we think will be uh, clinically superior. Uh, the, the way that we're able, you know, pharmacologic therapies have a lot of challenges with them because of, um, you know, much of the restriction and FDA guidelines. We believe through compounding medication space um, this is an uh, area of growth. This is an area that further development can happen, and uh, we're excited to pursue that. Well, I think you've hit on some really, really key concepts. Um, first of all, you know, the unmet need clearly was post-op cataract drops, um, and I'm assuming it's cataract. Maybe are you also doing this for LASIK patients as well? We are. We focus primarily in cataract, but exactly, we're going into LASIK as well. Okay, so. You know, and this is something that I've been really passionate about um, in the past. I really see that we can do this in a, in a smarter way with combination therapy. And patients, you know, they can only be compliant to the level that they can understand your instructions, access the drops, get the drops you're trying to prescribe them, and then not run out of those drops. And at every stage in that process there is a lot of potential for either confusion, miscommunication, subversion, um, either intentionally or unintentionally by the pharmacies, um, and then just quantities, can, you don't really control that. And especially with samples, if you give someone a sample, um, it may not be enough to last them throughout the, enti the entirety of their post-op course. So, you know, in my, in my clinical practice, this was not a minor problem. This was almost one of the largest unmet needs, the largest headaches was surrounding those cataract patients trying to, first of all, explain a tapering schedule. Uh, that's not easy. It's amazing how much energy and time. I mean, I don't, I, I, I'm with you. I only want to explain it twice. And if the patient still has questions, I have my nurse sort of explain it, but the amount of energy that goes into it is, is, has been remarkable still to this day. But, but what I would say is 
Big Pharma has been on our side. I mean, they've been trying to come up with solutions. They've been able to reduce the frequency. But the FDA still limits them to be able to combine them into one you know, package, one easy-to-understand method to offer it. And that's why we believe um, through we're, – we're kind of pursuing it a little bit different than some of the other players in the market. We wanted to go with a preservative-free combination solution. So we think we sort of have like a next-generation combination drop that we believe will be uh, able to meet this unmet need. Well, you know, and this is not an indictment on the FDA. I think the FDA has, you know, great intentions. They definitely want to keep, you know, American citizens safe. They want to make sure that safe products are developed. But it's sort of, they're, they're in a quandary. It's almost a catch-22 where they are trying to protect us and keep us safe as, as you know, physicians and patients. But at the same time, there's there's a almost a, a lack of common sense or a lack of um, understanding of the the common practices, for example, or standard of care issues even. And so these compounding rules really allow innovation. They allow for um, great products to be developed, and in many ways, products that are superior. Um, at least in the minds of most ophthalmologists, and I think if you polled patients, they would say the same thing, superior to the products that are available for, for less cost. And that, that's what value is. You know? And then that's, that's the other issue, right? It's, it's um, you know, sometimes you need some, just a very simple disruptive technology to sort of identify the elephant in the room. And really, I think what, for a lot of people, I mean, you touch on the fact that this can be done simpler, but it's unfortunate that it continues to be, you know, spread in headlines in every paper and on the news almost every week. Another story of pricing in the pharma world getting um, what seems more more higher. And you know, for a new innovative product, it makes sense. Or, or I, I don't know if I, you know, it can be justified, but when you see generics just going up in price, that, that doesn't, you know, it's, it's medication is not gasoline. You know, it, it's people's lives and, and health depend on it. And when you see, uh, the, the, when you see the prices changing and going higher and higher, you there needs to be a uh, there just needs to be a discounted price solution, but it's important that it, even though it's a discounted price, it doesn't mean the quality is discounted. So we just think that this can offer a way to still be very effective and control costs. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the products themselves because um, this your startup is actually light years ahead of some of the other startups, physician startups that. You know my own product and some other other folks I know. So I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit, not in a commercial sense, but more or less just explain the the products that you've offered and maybe a little bit about the why do you decide to go in that direction. So um, your company is Ocular Science. It can be found online at ocularscience.com. And walk me through a little bit about the products that you offer and maybe the direction that you decide to go. Um, maybe the, the why behind those those products. Sure. Well, right now what we have out is a uh, Predmoxy Ketorolac uh, preservative-free solution for cataract surgery. 
Um, we also have a pred Ketorolax solution for cataract surgery. Um, and we have a pred Moxie uh, solution for LASIK. Um, all of them are preservative free. Uh, the purpose of the first two are some uh, physicians found they wanted to have a uh, antibiotic the first week and then just the non-steroidal and steroid the second to third week. Some physicians are fine using the triple combo for the full month. Um, and the nice thing is these medications can be packaged together in um, bottles together uh, so that it's very easy for a patient to follow. You use the first bottle the first week, the second bottle week two through four, um, and it makes it uh, very simple. I've been okay with using uh, one bottle, the, the triple mix. I just reduce the frequency to twice a day after um, the first week. Um, we are currently um, about 85% uh, finished with a prospective study that we've done looking at this, comparing this head-to-head uh, -head in a multi-center uh, observer mass prospective study of 80 patients, and uh, basically showing that there's no inferiority comparing it to um, uh, branded uh, uh, moxifloxacin, um, uh, prednisolone, and um, uh, the uh, non-steroidal we used was um, Allevro, and um, I'm going to be very excited to, Gary, when we have the results to uh, present it. Uh, they look promising, uh, but I don't want to, uh, you know, pop the cork until I can tell you the uh, st statistical significance in the study. Sure, sure. And, you know, I'm actually, um, I'm using a, a similar product uh, myself, a, a Predmoxy-Ketorolac combination um, and doing it for the entire time and have, you know, just from my perspective, have had fantastic results. So um, I think that there is a lot of benefit to what you're doing. I think there's a ton of value that you're providing to both physicians and patients. And, um, man, I'm really rooting for you, um, not That's just funny. for this, but, you know, when physicians go through a process like this of building a team, of leading a team, of going through the science, but also going through the, the softer sciences of marketing and uh, distribution and um, all the things that are required for a medical startup, you know, that next idea that comes across uh, your mind, the next unmet need, you're going to be even better at, um, you know, executing on that. And so I just think it's really important that we as physicians, when we have ideas and we have startups, that we support each other. Um, and, uh, man, I'm looking forward to supporting you for, uh, you know, in this venture and also in, in, for years to come. So, man, I'm, Thanks, I'm rooting Eric. for you. You know, the other thing I want to uh, hit home and I think is really important is, again, I am I am a fan of all the people that have done work before me. And in no way do I, you know, for any of the listeners to think that I want to think my product is superior than anything that Big Pharma's done. No way I can say that. But I think that uh, there is a need. We're not better, but we think there is a potential for our product to fit in the market also. Um, there's no way I can say this product is going to be superior than Durazol at reducing inflammation. I, I have graphs that are surviving months now that would have rejected if it wasn't for innovation like that. Um, and same thing with um, medications like uh, Prolenza. So um, 
but I think that we need uh, discounted um, solutions that are still effective. And um, I, I think this will be a great area. We're also excited, you know, we, we haven't shown all our cards. We're also excited uh, later in the year to uh, present a solu another solution for dry eye that we think will be innovative. And um, we uh, look forward to being able to share that with you uh, when the time is right. Well, we look forward to, to hearing more uh, of the story as, uh, as you can peel back the, the uh, onion, so to speak. Um, so we look forward to, to hearing more about it. Um, any parting thoughts before we uh, wrap this up? Again, thank you. It's been uh, fun, Gary. And I think I want to turn the mic over and ask you a little bit about your startup. <laughs> You're turning the tables on me. Well, um, sure, I'll, I'll give you a little brief update. Um, we are... We are really ramping up for our first human trial, so um, that's that's um, that's going to be offshore, and uh, we are uh, looking forward to uh, positive results there. But again, like you said, not going to pop the cork until we uh, have the results. But um, we we continue to make uh, some progress in the intellectual property field. Um, we're we're closing a, a B round of funding, which has been uh, oversubscribed, and that's always a good thing. And uh, we continue to get interest from um, people that we're presenting the idea to. And, um, yeah, we just we look forward to, you know, at the end of the day, um, making a difference and making ophthalmology just a little bit better. So um, stay tuned. Hopefully in the next 12 months or so we'll have some more data to share. Wonderful. Well, I wish you best with it and uh, this uh, exciting podcast. It's been great. And, um uh, it's exciting, and thank you so much, Gary, for having me today. Awesome. Thanks, Damien. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Having a pestering idea and knowing what to do about it can be daunting. Fortunately, there are many case examples in ophthalmology of physicians with ideas who tested, trusted, and committed to a hypothesis. It can be done. And even if you don't land exactly where you wanted to, sometimes just building the confidence in yourself to take that plunge makes it all worth it. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.